So we're not saving the world, we're building a new one. There's real transformation that changes everything. Finding your community is really just following your heart. That's their folk scientific picture of how the world works. Let me uplift you, uplift me, uplift each other. You can become extraordinary. Shifts are upon us at the global level. Each and every one of us are just one little piece of this puzzle. For me is that the human dimension is important, our environment is important, and so is economics. I was anxious that the progress wasn't fast enough, that sustainability wasn't deep enough. Stop worrying, start living. The right hemisphere is right here right now, and it's being. You must love. We are verging on critical mass, and we just need to show up. We need the land under our feet, right? We need to love it, we need to care for it, we need to belong with it and to it. Get ready, corporate mind. You don't know what's coming, because from the ground up, we're building from that family mind. It's village time.
listening to the Village Mixtape. This is your host, Aliko Tree, back again uh, with Paul Chooked and Wagner from his uh, talk from the Village 3. And uh, I won't say any more because this is a real treat. All right, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our keynote speaker, Paul Chooked and Wagner. Uh, Paul Chioked and Wagner is a, yes, round of applause. Super excited. Um, is a member of Saanich First Nations and has been speaking out on social environmental issues since he was a child. Paul is a strong advocate of ancient ways and teachings of the circle of life, as well as the return of our elder women to guide our societies into life. Paul has assisted in rallies all around the Pacific Northwest and in 2015 was honored to speak along Jill Stein and Deborah Parker at the COP21 Climate Talks in Paris with the Sam and His Life Coalition. Yes. After his dedicated work at Standing Rock, Paul returned to the Northwest and founded Protectors of the Salish Sea, an indigenous-led organization dedicated to ending the era of fossil fuel in our Salish Sea and beyond through direct divestment actions. A co-author of the Tokate Salish Sea Whale Sanctuary, he is currently working to release Tokate back to the waters of the Pacific Northwest after 48 years of slavery at the Miami Sea Aquarium. Let's give Paul a big, warm round of applause. It's good to be here. It's good to be here with people who are working for a future, who are coming together and being in the same room, sharing their hearts and sharing food, sharing laughter and ideas around creating wellness. Because to me, a village a community is wellness. It's not just the people, the human people, but it's everybody, all the people, all the people, those tree people, the deer people, and the salmon people, all of them, and the water. How is the water? How are the children? Does peace live here? Is there peace here? Is there peace with every one of those people? Because our community is much larger than we might think. It's much larger than we may contemplate. And so I um, feel I'm here to think about that and to consider that and to share some ideas around that. I'll sh introduce myself in our Wasanich language so you can hear a little bit of our language, Siem Nishtelacha. Oh, Siem Nishtelacha, Nishtelacha Siem, Janewait Quenchquela Quenza Tia Tangit, Siem Nishtelacha, Chiokten Sinasnat, Chaleit Sinat Usainich Leatula. O siam iesen techel swahela, siam nestelacha, o siam. I'm from the Tom family of Hushatlap, land of the maple tree and 
southern tip of Vancouver Island, my traditional name, Cheokton, and the English name, Paul Wagner. And uh, just said, uh, I have a really good feeling in my heart on this night, and, and it's really great to see you all, and, uh, and I'm happy to be here doing the work. So um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just think about some of the teachings, I guess. Uh, as you can see on the, behind me, in this projection here, uh, is a tarpy uh, in Standing Rock. Um, I was there in September, and it was cold. We were there, Seattle, to Standing Rock Canoe Journey, and uh, went there to pull on that river, the Cannonball, the Missouri River, and, and to stand with the people there, stand with all uh, indigenous nations. There were over 300, and uh, we went there to, to make sure they were not alone, to make sure that our coastal people here in the Salish Sea and in this region would, would be standing side by side with those people because of the teachings of our people. We cannot let others stand alone when they're working that hard for a future. Our old people have many beautiful sayings many beautiful proverbs, if you will. And we had nine months of the year inside our Chakaitlung. Right now, I want to give thanks to the Duhduwapsh, so I'm thinking of them and this Chakaitlung that we're in here. It's all-all in their language. They use that word, all-all. Can you say all-all? That's a big house. <laughs> So kind of in a big house here. <laughs> and so I want to raise my hands to the Duhduwapsh, the Duhduwapsh, the Duwamish people, for loving this place as they would love their own child for tens of thousands of years, OCM. And uh, so I think about those teachings, and I think about how those teachings lived in these houses and how we had an enormous opportunity to learn from our elders who were all around us, so many generations of them everywhere inside that house. And we're in that house for nine months of the year, you know, and traditionally before contact. And, and so we went out and we collect the food. There was so much food, you know, the Creator put so much food here where you live. You may not know, but this was the most abundant food source place in the world. There was more food here than anywhere in the world. A heartbeat ago, one heartbeat ago in our long tens of thousands of years of history, 164 years is one blink of an eye. A blink of an eye ago, there was more food here than you could have ever imagined. And it's not here anymore. So I want you to think about that. We have to think about where we're going too, where this society outside this room here is going. And we need to work hard, work hard to make sure that that kind of disrespect has no place here anymore. That era is done. It's over. There is no time. There is no place for this type of mentality, 
for this type of action, there is no more room for it at all. And so when we're here in this house, it's beautiful, and, and I'm honored to be here. So as I was speaking about those teachings that we had in the house, you know, one teaching is that those elders would always share their voice and share their hearts with us, always. You know, those are some of the favoriteest things I've ever been exposed to in my whole life is just listening to those elders stand up and share. And, you know, we don't have that today. You know, we were rich with those teachings. We were extremely rich with those teachings. And today, how often do you see an elder inside a room just stand up and start sharing? Because it lived on his heart. He had to share it with you. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be rich. He wants all of you to be rich. In here, in your Hachusada, your Natsamat, the intellect of your heart, he wants everyone around them, her, him, to be rich. And so that's the world that I pray for. I pray for that world that we are all rich people once again living on these lands. I do not want us to be poor people without these amazing and beautiful teachings. Because if we're going to live here, if we're going to put our bones here, we have to have teachings in our heart so that someday you will be able to walk upon the bones of your ancestors here. Someday you'll think about it in every step because our people have. They were taught that, that everything you touch has the bones of our ancestors meaning we must respect that. That plant that grew from the bones of our ancestors has the DNA of our people in it. Scientifically, they even know that's true now. They look at the DNA of the cedar trees and it has our human DNA in it. So I ask everyone, I ask people to think about that. Think about how you will someday have that footstep here and walking upon the bones of your ancestors. Will you feed them? Will you burn food for them? Will you never forget them? Will you never walk away from them? Will you honor them? Because they're under your feet. That's what I see. That's the future I see. I see you honoring your ancestors in the most beautiful and powerful way possible, in a way that says, I will never leave you alone. I will never forget you. I will never disconnect from you because now I walk upon your bones. And now everything I touch has your spirit in it. It has your DNA in it. And I will respect that. I will respect that. There's so many layers of understanding with our Coast Salish people. This is only one layer, one simple layer, but there are many, many layers to think about. And so as I just share a couple thoughts and a couple feelings, I, I ask you to think about that. I ask you to, to meditate on that, to say, 
How could I have a better relationship with my ancestors right here? Right on this place, on this land. How can I have a better relationship with the, the indigenous people's ancestors right here on this land? How can I do a better job? How can I be a better human being? How can I be indigenous? How can I feed my indigenous roots? How am I going to do that? Ask yourself, how am I going to make that part of me strong? That part of me will rise up and it will defeat that colonized part of me. There will be no more colonized part of me anymore. We need to indigenize ourselves, become in peace and harmony with everything. If we want community, we need to heal. We need to heal ourselves. Work on this part right here. Listen. Find a teacher. Find an elder. Listen to them. Not just once. But you have to go to elders four times, you know, because they're kind of tricksy. <laughs> They'll be like, eh, what do you want? <laughs> you can leave now. <laughs> You'll be like, oh. <laughs> then you just show up again, you know, like, oh, God, there he is again. <laughs> then you show up the third time and maybe they like, oh, maybe they're a little bit serious, you know, maybe that is who they are. Maybe that's their spirit. And then you show up the fourth time and then maybe they know you're, that's who you are because they know what elders have a way of knowing what your teachings are. What's the teaching for you? They didn't just share everything like a cookie cutter in the colonial world, just stamp out another good taker, one after the other. No, that's not how our elders work, you know. They're very wise. They see the spirit of the people, and, and then they, they feed that aspect of them and encourage that aspect of them. So, um, yeah, those teachings, you know, I love the teachings, and I love community. I love our indigenous ways. I want everyone to understand some aspect of what we have understood here since time immemorial. That's just who I am. I feel that if we're going to have a world where we have peace, true peace, where we have harmony, true harmony, and we have wellness, and true wellness, and we have a good relationship with everything, everyone, every people. Well, we need to gather some things. We need to gather them up, and we need to learn a few things about how the indigenous people right where you're sitting and standing and walking upon their bones. How did they do it? How did they create paradise? It was done intentionally because uh, everything we do is with intention because there are no mistakes and there are no coincidences in the indigenous world. There just are not. And so when you 
decide you're going to do something. Put all of your intention in there. Make it a prayer. I was, my elders taught me that our original prayers here, they're much like a manifestation. You see what that person needs or what anything needs and you see it entirely. You don't ask for things. You see them. You speak to the Spirit and the Spirit will make those things so as long as you're in a prayerful way. But you see them, envision them, speak of them as if they already have happened. We will have community. We will have wellness. We will have peace here on our lands again. We will have it. We have no choice. We will do all of these things that we must do. And there's no way around that. So I believe in all of you. I believe in your ability to create with wisdom and knowledge, to create a community, to create your own wellness within you from a place that speaks of the wellness of the land, all those things feeding you, inspiring you, bringing a sense of wholeness to you. So one thing my mom always shared, she always said, and she never spoke any English. My mom used to say it, that she never spoke no English till she was eight when they beat the language into her and they, they really abused her, you know. And uh, so her parents didn't speak no English at all. They didn't need to. can say anything we need to say in our language. Anything we need to say, we can say. And uh, so my mom listened to some of the elders, you know, in the house and to her mama. And uh, I was having good conversations with people here, and I'm so thankful that we could have those conversations. And, and uh, so... You know, my grandma, she told my mom, you know, she said, you always raise your hands to those trees. She said, in gratitude, in gratitude, like this. You guys know how to give gratitude in Coast Salish? This is, all you have to do is know that you're related to the trees. And these are your hands of the cedar tree, because that's where we learned it. And the cedar tree is always lifting all the other trees up. It's an upward lifting motion. So. so my grandma said, you always raise your hands to those trees. You know why? Because they breathe out what we breathe in. And I asked the children, what is that? You guys can pretend you're children. <laughs> oxygen, yeah, hey, oxygen and hey, is that important? Yeah, yeah. How important, how important is oxygen? So important, okay. How super so important is oxygen? Yeah, that's right. It's life or death, right? Yeah, yeah, it's life or death. So we receive a gift in every single breath from the life around us in every breath. Wow, it's awesome and beautiful. So how many of you feel that if you receive a gift that is life or death, how many of you feel 
That is worth giving a little something back to. Raise your hands if you believe that's true. Well, right there is philosophy, understanding of our first peoples here. That is an understanding. And my mom always said, the elders said, and her mama said, if you respect nature, nature will respect you back. And that right there is called natural law. These are absolutes. These aren't religions. These aren't things that just some man thought of. But these are things that have been observed through tens of thousands of years, and they're the absolute truth because this world did fall. This world did end up in bone and ash in our swims, our understandings. Call it a story if you like. We don't have that word. It's a prophecy. And the world did turn to bone and ash because seeds of disrespect were planted. Things were broken that never should have been broken. And this is the time of the animal people and humans were very brand new in that time. And so they did. They started doing things that just weren't right. They figured they could just go take whatever they want or go and take shortcuts, walk across other territories. They were, the bird people in particular, wore regalia and they would disrespect other bird people and, and wear their regalia. They had no regard for them. And they planted those seeds of disrespect. And war did break out here in the time of the animal people. And there was no peace and there was no rest. And the people got tired of living that way because everything had fallen. And some people remembered the old stories of when the world was in balance, when the respects were paid and they sought these people out and they listened to them. They very much longed for that time. And they listened to these stories. And now they really longed for this time when all respects were paid and all things were in balance and there was peace in the world. And they could actually sleep at night, not thinking if they would not wake, you know. The world was in very poor shape. And so after they heard these stories, they wanted that time so much, they went up on the mountain and spoke to Chels the changer, and asked for help. And the creator did show up, but did reprimand the people and asked, why do you ask for more? Why do you ask for more when all things were placed upon the land and the water? So there would be no want in the hearts of anybody. Nobody would have a want in their heart, yet you ask for more. And after several reprimands, the people kept explaining, and the Spirit agreed to help. He said, I will help you. You go back down to that valley, and you collect the bones of your ancestors, because that's all that was left was the bones and ash. And bring me back some of those bones. And so they did, and they came back. And the Spirit took two of those bones and put markings on them, of the female. This is a Slahal story. 
story of the Slahal. It's a peacemaking. It's not more than a game. It's very sacred. And it brought peace to us here in our Coast Salish territory. And so the Spirit put two markings on each one, signifying that was the feminine. And these were the most important ones in this sacred game that would end all of the war and destruction that happened. And these are the ones that you will protect the most because the female is a life bringer. The female carries that understanding of wellness for everything. And so those are the ones the most important. The other 10 were just for trading. And there's a kick stick to start the game and the animal people got that kick stick and the humans were just brand new at that time, a long time ago, brand new in their existence, you know. And there they, they, they didn't have any of the things the animal people were strong. They had furs and fangs and claws. And they even had songs. The humans had none of this. And so that game began, and the animal people would point, and those human people could not protect the sacred feminine at all. They could not, and they had to give up a stick. And there's only 10 sticks. So that game went again. It was the animal people's turn again. They'd point, and the humans lost another stick. And the humans were losing that game really bad. They got down to a few sticks, and animal people pointed to a group of humans and said, this group of humans here, they will be our food until the end of time. And the animal people would point, and they'd lose another stick. The humans would. Finally, the humans got down to that last stick. They were ready to lose. And they called upon the spirit one last time. They said, only if you help us now. We absolutely promise until the end of time to give the bones back, to pay respect to every single thing around us down to the smallest thing. We will uphold the circle of life until the end of time in absolute terms, only if you help us now. And the Spirit understood this absolute promise and gifted those humans songs. Songs of nature, not just the animal people, but songs of nature. And with these songs, they became strong. And now the animal people missed. And now it was a human's turn to point at the animal people and for them to protect the sacred feminine the female, and they lost. They could not. The humans were strong now, and they lost sticks and lost sticks. The animal people did. And finally, the last stick was taken from the animal people. And those salmon dove into the rivers and estuaries, and the deer went to the meadows, and the bear into the forest. All the animals went to where I should be able to say where they are today because that's the way the story is told. But I cannot say that because they are not here anymore. They are gone. Because we are in the middle of this suyem. We are in the middle of this prophecy and it's our choice. Do we rebuild this place? Do we 
understand how paradise was created, do we have a curiosity or do we keep going in the direction that we're moving along that black road of materialism or do we move into the red road of spirituality? And so we have our choice. We're in the middle of this prophecy right now. We are. That's just how it is. But I believe that we can create good things in this world. I believe that we can come together in the human spirit when we come together is unstoppable. Nothing can stop the prayerful ways of people coming together. And so we will move beyond this and that's, you know, I, I see it, I know it, and, and, uh, and we have to keep doing this, keep doing this work, keep talking about how we're gonna work together, how are we gonna create wellness just with our immediate family? How are we going to create wellness with the people around us? How are we going to create that village that we're talking about right here? How are we going to create that watertight basket? Because that's the way I see community as it once lived here, as a watertight cooking basket. We have cooking baskets here. And so you just scoop up some salt water and you throw in the food, throw in some herbs and you put in the hot rocks and you put a lid on it and you let it cook. It's kind of like a crock pot, <laughs> an old school crock pot. But, uh, um, and, uh, and then, you know, so that's our society. Our societies were watertight cooking baskets and, and nothing fell through because our house leader people would give everything away. They'd, they'd make things their family would make and make and make and weave and and, and toil and make beautiful things and just fill their space with those things until they were ready. For two years, they would get ready and enough things to give away. And they'd impoverish themselves, give everything away, knowing that that community, that village was well enough and loved enough that you could literally give everything away and without fear that you would be without and, and that's, I believe, where we can go if we learn, if we decide to educate ourselves about how that was done here a heartbeat ago. A heartbeat ago it was done here. Sure, this world's different. Sure, there's a lot of things that, that aren't right here. But we can learn. We can educate ourselves and we can change this place. And we can start that with, with indigenous wisdom and knowledge and, and apply ourselves with creative ideas. And um, such as, you know, these, not this thing behind me, but the tarpies. Um, <laughs> probably the computer went to sleep, I guess. I was talking too long, maybe. <laughs> and uh, so, so uh, yeah, yeah, these, uh, these structures here, I could probably scroll through a teeny bit, but um, these were uh, received in prayer and uh, because when we were there in September, it was cold. And, and I knew that, that people would be harmed by these blizzards. And, and so I, when I went there for this canoe journey, 
I met Black Cloud family, and they, before we even reached Ocheti Shikoen, they invited us to their family fire, and they said, you guys are here for that canoe journey, right? And they were so happy to see us, and they said, you're staying at our fire. And they invited us, and we stayed there, and we shared stories and songs, and, and they loved it. And Man, I mean, Standing Rock was a great example of how community can come together in a heartbeat. Because every person that was there had a purpose. Every person that was there knew what their job was. And every person that was there had a good feeling because of that. And when you leave, when we had to leave Standing Rock, when that was over, it took well over a year to come back into what we see here. This, what we see here, is, is, an, is an emptiness compared to that. And so, you know, we can build this. We can do it. This is a model for doing that. It's just finding the right elements, finding the right way to move into it. But you know what? In Standing Rock, they also had decolonization workshops, things that I'm speaking to you right now about mean that we need to heal, we need to take care of ourselves before we can believe that we could just all of a sudden move into this situation where we're all nurturing each other once again and, and everything around us will be well. But we need to be well inside here first. We need to work on this and fill this place. Can you say the word Hachusida for me? Hachusida. Yeah, it means the intellect of the heart is what that means. Late Vi Hilbert, Taksha Blue, Upper Skagit, my auntie, late auntie, she taught me that word. She says that means the intellect of the heart. Can you say Hachusida again? Yeah, it kind of sounds like you're sneezing, isn't it? Yeah, so I tell children so they never forget it, you know. So it's, it's a really important word, though, this word lets us know that we have a sacred place. Deborah Parker, Talelup, she said, her teacher said, that's your treasure chest. And Gene Harry, our relative, and Hulkamilam, he said, uh, when we were on a, walk, a climate walk in Bellingham, uh, afterward, he spoke, and he used the word Natsamat. Can you say Natsamat? It's the same word, but in our language, a little to the north. So he said, my elder told me, if I learn to use my natsamat, and he put his hand on his heart. Can you put your hand here and your hutch? Here they say hutch. He said, if I learn to use my natsamat, he says, I'll hear the wisdom of my ancestors all the way back to the beginning, to now and into the future, and I will not lose any of that wisdom that's intended for me. And he said, my elder said, though, if I only use these, and he grabbed his ear and wiggle it. Can you grab your ear and wiggle it? He said, if I only use these, it'll most likely go in one, and it'll rattle around, and it'll just drop out the other side. Because this is not intended for wisdom. Wisdom is a thing that, a sacred place in your being, and it has a name. And all the children who live here on our land should know the names of those sacred places so that they can teach other children that and that they now can fill that place 
with the teachings around them and they can become the elders that once filled our houses and we would listen to their words in every breath of our lives for nine months of the year until we became those elders. So, you know, those are the things that I believe in. Those are the things that I see that are missing. There's a few things missing in this world. And so we need to think about how can we get them back? How can we uh, create that paradise again? How can we have the salmon filling those rivers so you, can, you could literally walk across the backs of these salmon, you know, and, and the humpback whales in the, in the water, so many sea mammals, and, uh, and we can have those things back. And that's why when we walked 40 miles Seattle uh, to Tacoma, uh, walk to protect and restore the Salish Sea. We did that in a proclamation of Salish Sea Whale Sanctuary. So in the Duwamish Longhouse, we proclaimed Salish Sea Whale Sanctuary to say, you know what, today, today's the day where we're going to end the era of rape and death here, and we're going to begin the era of restoration of life and paradise here on these lands. And, and it's pretty simple. We're going to do that, and we're going to work for it. We're walking 40 miles. Our, our voices gave out. We couldn't sing anymore. We sang and prayed the whole way, but we were still singing, and our raspy, whispery voices, you know, still walking, and, and, uh, and we'd stop, and we'd see a sign where they were going to kill a bunch of trees, and we'd stop and put tobacco down. We'd pray, sing a song for the trees, and, and listen to their voice, and it was one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever done is just to sacrifice something, give something up, give something up for the wellness of all the people around us. And that's for the children, that's for you, that's for your children, because we have children in Native America, we all have children. If your cousin, your sister, your brother has a child, you know, you have a child. So I got children in Native way, and so I, I work for those children. I stand for them because they can't stand and, and fight against Kinder Morgan, they can't stand and fight against Puget Sound Energy's 8 million gallon bomb on Puyallup's estuary. They can't stand and fight the 100 fish farms in the not, you know, Namgis and Muskamog territory and archipelagos between Vancouver Island and the mainland. 100 toxic fish farms there. Some hold a million salmon that are bringing genocide to the sockeye salmon, to the Chinook salmon. And, you know, I... I they need a voice, they deserve a voice, they deserve to be lifted up. And uh, so, you know, those are some of the things that we can all get involved in. That was Paul Chiokton Wagner from The Village Three, the first part, and stay tuned for the second part. It'll be um, up where you found this podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, um, interviewing people on their inner and outer village, please consider donating to us at patreon.com forward slash the village mixtape.